This week on the Recruitment Flex, reference checks. Do you even bother? If you want more money, it's time to quit your job. No signs of slowing down as the job numbers in Canada and the US are released this week. And can Tesla build a better ATS? Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hey now, welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And as always, joined by my co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, you're leaving me for this a week. week. When well, not a full week. No, just six days. Okay. Brooke and I are going to go down to Nashville. I have family in Nashville, and then I also have family in Louisville. And so we're going to do some Southern hospitality with my family there. And while we're there, there just happens to be Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. Oh, so I was going to ask, like, why are you going? Okay, you're going to see the Red Hot no, Chili Peppers. We're going peppers. to see family too. Like, we could have gone to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers anywhere. They're on tour right now. But no, we're going to go to Nissan Stadium in Nashville is where they're playing. So I love Nashville. The last time we went, one of my favorite places was the Grand Ole Opry. I know that sounds old and everything, but I really enjoyed it. It was amazing. So Nashville is a pretty fun city. I, what yeah. do they call it? Like Nash Vegas? I've heard that term. Yes. It's very yeah. similar. Well, I'm going Thanks. to be sad. Listen, I'll bring you a gift. Okay. When I come back, okay, I'll bring you something. Just before we jumped online here, I was reading this really funny post on LinkedIn that was talking about, you know, the things that really bug me about LinkedIn posts. So this guy listed five things that really annoy him. And I thought, oh, well, he's missing mine. The thing that is. What were the other ones? So just quickly, his was the holier than thou, thought leader selfies, uh, my client, and then insert result, or I made XYZ in ABC months, he goes, tax statements, or it never happened. And the LinkedIn police. (laughs) And then for a bonus, he threw in the butt crowd. (laughs) You post something and they go, but that didn't work, but I'm doing good without it. (laughs) (laughs) the one thing that was missing that I would say annoys me the most is I think they call it the humble brag where someone is clearly tooting their own horn when they post things like all their great achievements and then hashtagged hard work (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it just annoys me if you need to brag send an email to your family Yeah, I think what we're seeing is really a proliferation of other social media. Think about it. Facebook has been a humble brag for as long as Facebook existed. So why do people post different things? Look at me, I'm traveling and we're all guilty of it. And and sometimes that's not our intention, but I think we're starting to see that way more on LinkedIn than we ever had. In the last week, I've seen probably like 10 wedding pictures, right? On LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. Yeah. I got laid off, but I married the woman of my dreams. Like I saw that today. We're seeing that a lot more or pictures of their families. 
And I don't know how I feel. Like if we ask Kim Wilkinson, she'd be like, absolutely no. But then there's a other side of it that it humanizes some people that maybe you're dealing with and see them with their family, see their lovely kids. I don't know. Maybe it has a really good impact. But I agree. If you're going to go on LinkedIn to brag about everything that you have, it has the opposite effect of what you're trying to yeah. do. Yeah, for sure. Was there anything in that list that annoys you about LinkedIn? Oh, there's a couple of things that annoy me. These influence, uh, I don't want to call them influencers, but there's this whole crowd and one is Bridget and then there's Oleg who have millions of followers and they're just repurposing content about these crazy stories of, hey, I was walking down the street, I saw a dog, I helped him and then... Then I went into the interview and guess who the interview was the dog. I like those types of stories. I'm exaggerating, obviously. I know, I know. That annoys me and it annoys me how many people follow those types of influencers and actually respond or think it's gospel or put in the comments of like, you're so right. And then a week after you see a different influencer with exactly the same message, just a little bit different. It's like a made up story, but it goes on. So I think that's the biggest annoying thing for me on LinkedIn. Yeah. So speaking of social media, there's one other thing that I wanted to run past you. In the weekly newsletter from our friend Hung Lee, he talked about Reddit. And I have to admit, I am not up to speed. My boys, they're 24, 25 years old. They live on Reddit. Hung Lee was talking about the recruiter community on Reddit. And if you're going to get into the community, you really need to understand the guidelines. The other really interesting thing was Reddit is 60% men. And I believe that because I really don't know that many women that are active on Reddit. He also pointed out that for the most part, vast majority English only, and 50% of the community is in the US. As I was reading this, I think I fall too far outside and it would almost feel like I'm trying too hard if I was <laughs> trying to get on the Reddit community. What do you think? I mean, well, you in know this more context, about this than I do. Yeah, in the context that Hung Lee put it, I think one yeah. of the biggest thing is he was trying to see for people that want to source directly from Reddit, the first thing you have to do is join the community really understanding and you should any social media or any tool that you're going to leverage to be able to recruit you should know quite a bit about it but you're right we're both probably not in the demographic the demographic listed here is 25 to 29 mm-hmm. have i spent time on reddit yes Basically, Reddit, you can talk about any topic, right? It's actually a really good place to find very like-minded type of individuals that care about the same thing. I go on Reddit a lot in the past for sports, right? To talk about my favorite hockey team. But I've actually leveraged Reddit when I was in tech recruitment to really get a sense of what candidates felt about different recruitment processes. And it was really enlightening to go through some of the Reddit posts of their experience at different tech companies and Mm. what went wrong, what went right. So there's tons of value. But what it says here is, I might be wrong. If anyone is a Reddit pro, please correct me. The more involved and the more posts that you put, the more comments, you get a higher ranking. It actually shows that you're a very active member. And when you're posting something, and this is on a lot of social media, people can upvote you, meaning this is a really good thing that you said, I'm going to upvote you. So you go to the top of that particular thread. I definitely don't think there's any disadvantage of a recruiter spending time on Reddit and really understanding, but I guess there's a 
very deep side of Reddit when it comes to recruitment that I haven't really been involved. But, you know, we talk about pet peeves about LinkedIn and different social media. I actually saw one really weird post and I needed to go dig into it. A lady on LinkedIn said, oh, I was just checking through Reddit to see if I could find anything talking about me as a recruiter. And I found this and there was six different comments of, oh, no, you should definitely check out this person. It was the best service that I ever had. Then the second comment is similar. Third comment, like you could tell this was written by maybe not themselves, but someone they know. And it was pure bullshit. I'm like, I almost commented on her LinkedIn post saying this didn't happen. You're full of shit. But I'm like, I don't want to be on the negative side of anything. I don't want to get into those arguments. But come on, give me a break. So I don't know. Maybe you should go on Reddit, Shelly. Maybe that's your new thing. You might get it <laughs> because you can spend a lot of time on it. This really dovetails nicely into something I wanted us to chat a bit about. And that was around reference checks. So there's your regular standard reference check where you're verifying that somebody worked where they said they worked held the job that they said they held. And then we try this dance in between to find out if they're any good at what they do, according to who you believe is their former supervisor. What made me think of this was when I was at RecFest, there were a lot of reference check providers there. I thought that was really strange because here in Canada, where I'd say in North America, we're dominated by one or two or three players that have the lion's share of maybe not necessarily reference checks, but like criminal background checks and that sort of thing. But what's interesting is the whole notion of social media checks. I wanted to get your take on it because I thought it's a really interesting notion, depending on what you're hiring for. Well, before we go into that reference checks in general, should you be doing them? Uh, Why bother doing them? Yeah. Well, I'm so old school search. I believe it's your due diligence to at least verify that this person is who they say they are. That's kind of basic. You know, and when we were talking last week about how to limit litigation in the recruitment process and why bother getting an RPR. So it's little things like that. If you're a recruiter, they pulled you off the street and said, here, phone these people and pre-screen them. You would be completely oblivious to the fact that you do need at some point in the process to verify that the person you spoke to is the person you're hiring, right? There's a difference between reference checks and just verification. So are you on the side that for legal reasons that you should just make sure that they work where they said they worked and their education was right? Because that's a different process than doing an in-depth reference check. Well, I think it is a wise thing to do for anybody who's got a role that is going to be leading others. Okay. Because a lot of people get promoted to be managers, but maybe never wanted to be a manager or never had any sort of coaching or training. And they may be technically very good, but terrible as a leader. So I think reference checks where you're talking about their leadership style and having some really good questions to ask the reference or the person providing the reference, I think there's value in that. But when you're talking about new grad hires, talking about hourly, temporary, is there really a point in that? You know what? I thought we were going to disagree on this one. You thinking you shouldn't do it. And I was in the fence that maybe you should if it's done correctly. So I think we're exactly on the same page, which always disappoints me. I look at it two ways and I agree with you as well. I think 
the exception to reference checks is entry-level candidates. Well, new to the workforce, what are you trying to figure out? If you have no experience, you have no experience. You're just creating anxiety for the candidate. You're lengthening your process. Who is actually reading or discussing this reference check after the fact? It usually goes in a file somewhere in the HRIS that no one ever looks at it again. But I do still think that reference checks should be a part of your recruitment process with exceptions. If you're not going to do it right, don't bother doing it. If it's an entry-level recruiter that's just asking very basic questions, we know what the answers are going to be because generally people that are giving reference are are non-confrontational. They don't want to hurt this particular Mm -hmm. person by giving them a bad reference. But I'm going to flip it a little bit. This should not be a recruiter. This should be the hiring manager. Oh, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Serge, we can't even get hiring managers to give us feedback on their fucking interviews. You're right. Like, how great would it be if a hiring manager spoke to that person's former supervisor and asked them intelligent questions about how they deal with conflict and how they deal with leading others? Like, how do they handle those difficult situations? That's really valuable. In my entire professional career, I have yet to ever have a hiring manager say, yeah, I want to do the reference. Okay. Well, then let's not bother. If the hiring manager is not going to do it. Have you? Come on. Have you had your hiring leaders actually do the references? And you're putting me on the spot because I am. I, I can't think of one. I'm not saying what's happening. I'm saying what should happen. In this oh, but we've never been able to do it ourselves. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I have. I'm going to check, but I okay. do think there's value. And if not, it should be at least a very senior recruiter that's very involved in a particular job because you have to listen, not what they say, but how what they, they say and what it. they don't say. Exactly. If they say like, you're looking for someone that disagrees with a lot of decisions, you should hire this person. Well, you should dig in deeper. And I think this is where we fail when we're doing reference checks. We're really not digging in deep, but I do think there's a couple of options if the company is requiring it. Definitely XREF is one of my favorite automated reference checking. And when I say outsource it, don't outsource it to like a sterling back check, which It's actually physical people calling. My God, that scares me. People that don't know your business physically doing background checks. Use an automated service like Mm -hmm. XREF. Mm -hmm. I think there's another one that was at RecFest called Sync or something like that, that they send you the reference they're going to send. You agree. Then you enter it into the system. I'll use XREF as an example. It automatically takes their email, sends them a survey, and then a full report comes back telling you the answers and how they rank it. At least you have something to back up. You have documentation. I still think you got to do it to your question. Let's go to the background check on social media. Tell me more. What's your thoughts there? So my first exposure to this was very recently. A friend of the show has just joined as an executive, senior vice president of marketing with a firm out of Silicon Valley. And they are growing at an exponential rate. And what they do is sentiment and social media background checks. I wouldn't be referring to a recruiter gets your resume. First thing they do is go to LinkedIn. 
take a look at your age and your gender and make a decision whether they're going to enter. That's not what I'm talking about. Say you are about to hire for a C-level role, or you're about to sign a contract with, say, a triple A junior hockey dude going to go play in the NHL. That's who wants to know what your social media presence is. And not so much checking, do you post drunken pictures, but are there any risks to the business? If you go on Reddit and you see that somebody is always being adversarial, you go on LinkedIn and rather than somebody being constructive, they're always combative. It's going to be informative and it's something that if you're going to be signing a contract with this 18-year-old kid from Saskatoon, and pay him $5 million a year to play hockey. Because what else do you know about somebody? You already know they've got the skills. You wouldn't be talking to them. So that's what I found was really interesting because it was sentiment analysis. And it's across all channels. I'm not against it, if that's the question. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially for more senior roles. There are some people on the internet that are just horrible people. They're what they call trolls. And those people are assholes in real life, right? Because when you're interviewing someone, you can assess skill, you can assess so many different things. But the one that you can't really figure out is this person a jerk. Being a jerk can be a big issue as far as the culture of your organization. Yeah, yeah. I do have a little bit more leeway with a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid than I do with, say, your executive vice president looking at their history and doing an in-depth dive. And there's a lot of trolling people, always negative sentiments, being outright disrespectful or just saying stupid shit. I think you have to call that out. If I had a large enterprise that my executive team are going to be looked upon from the investors, from my clients, anything Mm -hmm. they say could negatively impact my brand or myself. Yeah, I'm going to take every precaution to make sure that doesn't happen. And number one place that people share their voice is social media. I think we're going to see more and more of it. And I'm comfortable with that. I am too. I think those that are uncomfortable with it will likely be because they've done some pretty embarrassing stuff or said some embarrassing stuff. And I'm starting to think that it's not just executives. And I'll give you an example, Serge. I had a client who is in the medical industry. And when it comes to medical safety, safety of patients, you are expected to be on board with that, right? And a patient actually brought to management's attention one of their staff members who was posting very negative sentiment about the COVID vaccine, calling it a hoax and threatening if they force me to get vaccinated. It was a rant and it wasn't just one. And one of their patients happened to recognize this person and report it to management. Now, this was someone who was truly attention-seeking because I think nothing else would indicate that somebody would be so radicalized. And in the medical industry, nobody was really given much of a choice. You get vaccinated if you're going to be working with patients, right? But it would have been nice if you had some sort of sentiment tracking on your current employees to know this. Imagine the potential reputational damage of your group of employees being radicalized somehow. 
Yeah, I actually had a situation a little bit different. When I hire people on my team, I got to admit, I do check out their social media just to get a sense of what it looks like. Obviously, I don't judge what people do in their own lives. I don't even look at the sentiment. I will in some ways, but I don't deep dive that much. But once I was hiring a recruiter on my team, really liked her. I was 100% on board of hiring this person. Let me just check. So I opened Twitter and I found a Twitter account with her picture. It hadn't been used in four years. So I think she had posted and just ignored it. You should have seen the shit. I can't even describe the things that she said about uh, homosexuals, what she said about Black people. Couldn't believe it, what she actually wrote. She was younger. She was probably in her mid-20s. So this was probably posted in her early 20s. But I really didn't care. She crossed the line. I couldn't see myself working with that particular person. So it wasn't sentiment, but it was just saying stupid things. And if she had cleaned up, I would never have known. And chances are she would have worked with me with a very diverse team that fit every group that she was ranting about in a negative light, that could have been disastrous. Yeah. Um, the team. We all do stupid stuff, but there's certain lines. Posting a picture of you drunk and having a good time is different than posting something negatively. That's hateful. Yeah. Hateful in any way yeah, for or sure. anything that crosses the line. So Yeah, we'll invite a friend of the show on, the CEO of this firm, to talk more about it. Because I know even as you were sharing your story, how do we remove our bias? People will immediately jump all over this and say, well, just because I don't believe in a certain religion that now you're going to discriminate against me. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the sort of hatefulness that you're right. It's not something you can change your mind about. No. Well, you potentially can learn, right? You can learn and grow and become a better person as more information comes to you. That's all part of growing up or growing up and being a better person. But that raises serious judgment questions at a particular stage of her career. But just to be clear that it's not about I like Ford and you like Chevy, right? These are things that on social media that really would put the employer or the brand at risk. Yeah, because if you go through my social media and find how much I posted on hating the Toronto Maple Leafs, (laughs) that was like 10 years ago. I still hate them, but I don't post about them anymore. But (laughs) it was stupid. I do want to talk about a topic that we've talked probably too much about. But This is really good. This is really good. I'm glad you found this article. Well, I think the last couple of years we've been talking about the whole great resonation and how people have decided that, hey, there's something better out there. I'm going to look for a different job. So just read an article and I thought it was fascinating because they looked at the typical worker who changed jobs between April 2021 and March 2022. Those people saw earnings jump by 9.7% from a year earlier. And this is after accounting for inflation. So this is a Pew Research Center, extremely credible. Meanwhile, the typical worker who stayed at their job saw their wages fall 1.7% after inflation. Shocking. Well, not shocking. We all know this. We've all been in this front line of recruitment where we're seeing a lot more people switch jobs than we ever seen. And when we talk about pay transparency, it's always one of the things that, no, we don't want to show pay because 
we are hiring people higher than what the people are at the actual job right now. So Mm -hmm. if they see that, they're going to be upset. But what those people are doing, they're just going out and finding a job that pays them at the rate that you have. So as a company, now you're in a position that you have to hire a new person with no institutional knowledge, no experience within your company, Mm -hmm. and end up paying on average 10% more. So when you read this, were you shocked by this data? I would have thought it'd be more. However, even if you're in a unionized environment and your collective agreement was bargained in the the boom times, you can sometimes see over the length of the contract, something like 6% increase in your wages. But that is spread out over three years. Looking at one year alone, it is remarkable to be 9.7% adjusted for inflation. Holy smokes. I'm not an economist, and I couldn't say if you took inflation out, how much of an increase it would have been. Because we know that people who decided to make a change and they pulled the trigger on it in this last year have done better. And some of them went back to their original employers. Some of them hopped again, but it did surprise me that it was such a big number. Yes. It didn't for me, because like you, I thought this number would be higher, but then I'm just making some math. Like you, I'm not an economist, but I play one on TV. So (laughs) if we look at 9.7% increase in the US on average, and I might be completely wrong, it's been around eight to 9%. Wow. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So it's actually closer to 15 or 17. If we look at the people that didn't change jobs, They probably got raises and it was probably like 5%. This is where you take the inflation out and that's why they're in the minus of 1.7%. So there is one lesson to learn here for all organizations. When you talk about people in a negative light, when you say they're job hoppers, there's a reason why they're doing it because this is a way to elevate their career, to make more money. Loyalty went out the door when you started laying off people. We talk about different generations. This is a perfect example, right? Mm -hmm. We have never seen a generation of companies that lay off people as quickly as they do now. So people are going to look at that and be like, I'm going to take care of myself first because you're not loyal to me. So I think the numbers are going to continue, even in an economy that it's cooling off a little bit. This is still going to happen even in down economies because people will always need to be hiring people with specific skill sets. This moves perfectly into the July jobs numbers for Canada and US. Two different stories. So I'm going to start with Canada. So in July, Statistics Canada says the economy lost 31,000 jobs. This is the second consecutive month of job losses. Where we saw the biggest loss was in the public sector, but we did see a lot more self-employed workers. We saw quite an uptick on that end, and the private sector stayed exactly the same. Right now in Canada, it's really a historic low at 4.9% unemployment rate, which is basically zero unemployment. As we discussed last week, the rate of people in the workforce has never been higher. So that whole argument that no one wants to work anymore, it's not there. We all know the challenge is there's less people in the workforce to actually do the jobs. I'm not sure I'm really concerned about this at all that jobs fell because in my experience looking at job numbers, 
next month, then we might be up 300,000. I don't know how reliable at the end of the day these numbers are. It's a snapshot at a particular time. Let me go into the US. So I'll give the highlights that we can talk about what this looks like. Non-farm payrolls rose 528,000 and the employment rate is 3.5%. Dell Jones had estimated a rise of 258,000 unemployment rate of 3.6%. In the US, it's been at least three, four months or even longer. We've been talking about the pending recession and the job market changing. From these numbers in the US, it doesn't look like that is happening at all. At least the labor market is extremely hot and we're not seeing any dip. We're actually seeing an increase of what we expected. Why is it different in the US and Canada? Our economies are so interlinked. What's your take here? Well, I guess the first thing would be what we've always talked about and something you've always pointed out is wages in the US have a lot further to catch up to certain parts of Canada. Right. And I just don't know how caught up I want to get on a month to month report. This is obviously a very positive sign. People are working and want to be working, but the increase in demand for jobs and the unemployment rate being low, I think it's a good thing. I'd like to see a trend, but what do you read into this as far as what this might mean for the rest of this year or maybe even a year from now? Well, I think you're right. Like looking at it on a monthly basis is hard to tell a picture, but it still has quite a bit of impact. Let's say in the US, the numbers, they lost 528,000 jobs. That would have caused a bit of panic within organizations, how they look at hiring or potentially their business overall. And it could have caused more layoffs because it seemed like in the last couple of weeks, at least on my LinkedIn feed, it was all layoffs. Like it was all tech company layoffs. And I saw that maybe a month ago, And I saw it again last week with several companies announcing particular layoffs, which was a little bit shocking, but it makes you think is what I'm seeing in the micro here on LinkedIn. Is it what's happening in the macro where the overall economy that people are losing jobs? So comes to light that it's a small segment of tech sector that are laying off a fairly small amount of employees, if you look at the big picture. So not concerned, but... If the numbers were different, I think companies would be reacting a different way. These unemployment numbers are not going to shift dramatically because there's just not enough people in the workforce to do the amount of jobs that we need. Doesn't matter if we see a huge slew of layoffs, the numbers are just not going to be big enough. Like this challenge that we're seeing right now. It's not going away a year from now. It's not going away five years. Recession, no recession. The fact is, when you've got a 3.5% unemployment rate in the US and the payrolls are rising by half a million, when even the other economists were predicting half of that, layoffs, like honest to God, Serge, they're not laying off any software developers. In fact, There was a study just published that said they surveyed over a thousand software developers and asked them of these companies, would you happen to be interviewing with any of them? And nobody had their interviews canceled. Yeah. Out of a thousand software developers, Apple, Facebook, Google, all of them that have announced layoffs are still hiring software developers. So who's getting laid off? Well, I know who they're laying off. They're laying off the recruiters and the diversity, equity, inclusion people. That's what's happening, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Because that story has died down in their mind. So they're like, eh, we don't need yeah, this. Yeah, we can take anymore. our foot off the pedal for this. Yeah. So Shelly, for people that don't know, Tesla has built their own ATS that they've been leveraging. And I'm not against it. It really depends on how they built it. But ATS are not that expensive in the grand scheme of thing that yeah. you would take your software developers time to build an internal tool. I get it. Elon wants to make sure that there's not an over-reliance on external software vendors. But now you're in a position that you've got technical debt. Like, how is it integrating with other systems that you need to use? Building the partnerships with the job boards, all this stuff. That's very lengthy to do and it's very painful to do overall. So what was your take here? So way back in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a lot of staffing companies who were DIYing it right? Building their own system because all they were doing was automating the filing system. Yeah. It was the drawer on the right-hand side of my desk. So they were taking it out of the drawer and putting it into a database, which really there's no rocket science there. Could you do anything with it? You could do a search and find somebody, but you know, in the staffing industry, it's not really about long-term relationships. (laughs) It's about fill the job that's on your desk now and do it in the next 30 days, right? Because I've talked to some manufacturing firms, clients of mine, where they have software that is very good for logistics and supply chain, right? They're saying, well, the same thing applies to people. Why wouldn't you just use this same application when it comes to recruiting? Same thing can be said for occupational health and safety. And if all you're talking about is tracking job applicants, if that's all it is, then you're right. Maybe just bolt on another module of your supply chain management ERP that just simply tracks applicants. Is that really what you want? Because that's all it's doing. It just reminded me of those early days of staffing industry replacing the file cabinet. The other danger here is when you have software developers believing that they can build something better than what's already out there. Because is that not the classic story of Taleo? Taleo was built by software developers for clean data. And that's all they cared about was clean data and had no regard for what you would use this for outside of tracking job applications. Yeah, I think that's a deep concern because software developers always think they can do better than that particular platform. And it actually happened when I used to sell ISIMs. There was a client, a very prominent social media company here in Canada. And the first thing after they got it's like, well, I got my software team to take a look at it. And they came back and said it was garbage. And I'm like, okay, so you're saying ISIMs are the most prominent ATS in the market. 10 years ago, this is the height of innovation of iSIMS. It was really a step above anything else. You're saying your four software developers who know nothing about talent acquisition recruitment are going to build something way better. Uh, It's like anything else. Like as a recruiter, I always think I can be a better recruiter than the next person, even though they're probably better than I am. But software developers are very well known to have some bias. It's And I guess that's with any trade, right? Like a machinist will critique another machinist's work thinking I could do better. Accountants do it. Lawyers do it. Exactly. Everybody. Yeah, for sure. sure. 
until they start doing it and realizing it. There's actually a lot of thought about this. So to your point, and we'll leave it at this is I think in some cases, if you're just looking to build a digital file cabinet, sure. But an ATS is much more, especially in the capabilities that you can get today. What about your candidate experience? What about your distribution to the correct networks where your job seeker is going to be? What about nurturing those candidates? What about pulling the data that you need to be able to build a case to your senior management that you either need to spend more money or what you're doing is not accurate? Is that what you're trying to do? And someone that is not building this out or not in the industry doesn't understand those key points. And perfect example, they won't go to HR or they won't even go to the job seekers thinking, I'm going to use my own experience as a job seeker, which a software developer is one of those roles that talk about not living in the real world of the regular job seeker. The dude that works at the machine plant is not getting a hundred people reaching out to him every week on LinkedIn, trying to recruit him. It's a different experience. So trying to correlate that and put it into a system that will work for you. Yeah, it's bullshit. Mm. Fantastic week, Shelly. Yes. I am very jealous that you're going to Nashville. I actually just watched Woodstock 99 on Netflix. And if you haven't watched that, no, you I haven't. need to watch that. It talks about the train wreck of Woodstock 99 and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were a big part of that train wreck. It's a three-part series. Watch it. It's fascinating. On that note, have a great vacation. Thank you, Serge. See you soon. See you soon. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.